we are going to be on an exciting little journey here for some time. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we come before you this day as we think of you and your awe, your majesty, your power, your glory. We thank you for all that you are and all that you give to us. We look expectantly for all that you have in store for us. The future in heaven is we long for it, we look for it, we cite it for it. And we pray that you would bless our time as we look at some of the fallacies and faults or things that are not true that people say about heaven. And then we will turn our minds and focus to look on the truths of the blessed, glorious place called heaven. Use this time even now for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I know that I should turn this off. I know that in the past weeks we have seen horrific and unimaginable tragedies in our country, many of which we thought we would never see in our lifetimes, right? Very sad. The shooting on May 14th. 2022 at Topps Friendly Markets in Buffalo, New York. The very next day, a mass shooting on May 15, 2022 at Geneva Presbyterian Church in Laguna Woods, California. The shooting in Uvalde, Texas on May 24, 2022. And the shooting just on last Wednesday, June 1st, 2022, at St. Francis Hospital. All of these shootings happened within a month and some within a day. That helps to put all of this in perspective. These are all types of places that we frequent almost every day. A store a school, a hospital, and yes, a church. If we don't have eternity on our minds, we should. Listen, friends, we can very well be here today and be gone today. Is that right? Yes. It used to be said the Christians were so heavenly-minded that they were no earthly good, but I don't think that is the case anymore. <laughs> we should be very heavenly-minded. I have to admit I have a deeper and a longing for heaven. If we are going to spend all of eternity there, we should know as much about heaven as we can, should we not? Yes. So I must confess that on the onset, this will be an ongoing series so that we can uncover all the riches we can about heaven. 
our eternal home. Of course, there has been much written about heaven, much of which is not true. I have to warn you in advance that some of the accounts are quite bizarre. So first we will consider a few of these false claims about heaven. And then we will look at the glorious truth about heaven. Many of the accounts about heaven come from individuals who supposedly died and came back to life and had visions of heaven. So I'm not here to debate whether one had such an experience, but I do want to make comments about such experience because none of them have any real biblical support or legs to stand on. Take Betty Eady's account, for instance, in her book called Embraced by the Light. Betty Eady supposedly died and came back to life while having a hysterectomy. This is what she says about when she encountered Jesus. She says, I understood, or rather I remembered his role as creator of the, work, of the earth. His mission was to come into the world to teach love. This knowledge was more like remembering. Things were coming back to me. From long before my life on earth, things that had been purposely blocked from me by a, quote, veil of forgetfulness at my birth. My question, what things were coming back to you long before your life on earth? Are you omniscient? This goes totally against what the Bible teaches about God and his sovereignty. Job was nowhere to be found when the universe was created. Neither was any other human being. In Job 38.4, God asked Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. The Bible nowhere says that our souls were created before we were conceived. That's unthinkable. What you have to understand is that Betty Eadie comes from a Mormon background, which tells you in and of itself, it's a what? A cult. Thank you. So to begin with, what's, what sometimes trips weak believers up is when someone, when people use Christian terminology, but are not given the truth about what scripture says. So when she talks about Jesus being creator of the earth, Unfortunately, someone will take that and run with it and drink the Kool-Aid because that all sounds good and dandy. Much of what Betty Eady has to say comes from what is known as the New Age movement. Many things involved with this movement you may have heard in different environments that you come in contact and may have not thought very much about it at all. The New Age movement has to do with something called Gnosticism, that's a big word, isn't it? No, it's not a disease, and no, you don't need a shot for it, and no, you don't have to get a booster for it. 
Gnosticism, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S-M, is basically the belief that some higher knowledge than that which comes from the word of God is available to certain enlightened individuals. This whole New Age movement also involves another big word called pantheism, which is the idea that God and the universe are one. In other words, pantheists believe that the creator, namely God, is God, and that the creature, namely man, is God. Edie describes one event in her heavenly travels where she noticed a rose by a river. As she looked at the rose, she says, its presence surrounded her. I experienced it as if I were a flower. I felt God in the plant, in me, his love pouring into us. We are all one. This is when I think she may have had a little too much anesthesia. <laughs> this whole notion is blasphemy. Those in the New Age movement also believe in universalism, meaning that everyone goes to heaven and never really mentions hell. That Edie goes on, does not believe in the Trinity. She says, my Protestant upbringing had taught me that God the Father and Jesus Christ were one being. But her heavenly experience convinced Betty Edie differently. I understood to my surprise that Jesus was a separate being from God with his own divine purpose. The Bible teaches the complete opposite. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Thank you. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men the man Christ Jesus. In John 10.30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. The New Age movement is also characterized by what you may hear in everyday language, and that is the whole idea of positive and negative energies. How many of you have heard that? This is what Edie says about this in her book. Within our universe are both positive and negative energies, and both types of energy are essential to creation and growth. These energies have intelligence. They do our will. Listen to how silly that sounds. They are our willing servants, and she says, God has absolute power over both energies, positive energy it's basically just what you would think it is, it's light, goodness, kindness, love, patience, charity, hope, and so on. And negative energy is just what you would think it is, darkness, hatred, fear. Satan's greatest tool, unkindness, intolerance, selfishness, despair, discouragement, and so on. Positive and negative energies work in opposition to each other. And when we internalize these energies, they become our servants. Positive attracts positive. Negative attracts negative. Light cleaves to light and darkness loves darkness. 
There is power in our thoughts, she says. We create our own surroundings by the thoughts we think. I say no need for any positive or negative energies. Why not do what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, 22 through 32? Read you what Paul says. You don't have to listen to what Betty Eby says. Ephesians <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 4. Verse 22, and Paul writes that in reference to your former manner, he's talking about putting on, putting off and putting on. That in reference to your formal manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with, one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So you don't need all of the positive and negative energies. You need what Paul has given in the word of God. Everything pertaining to life of God and godliness is there. This is the admonition that we need, not this whole energy stuff. And another belief of the New Age movement is the idea of something called dualism, which you may have also heard in everyday language, which falls under the idea of two principles, which is the yin and the yang. How many of you heard that? Well, there's the good and the evil, the light and darkness, the force and the dark side of the force. In this dualistic system, Edie believes that sin itself is not really an offense against God. What? But rather the result of too much negative energy. She says anger, hatred, envy, bitterness, and a lack of forgiveness are not so much sins for which, which we need atonement, but rather negative influences we must learn to let go of, she says. There is only an occasional mention of sin, very much like the so-called pastor of the large gathering church, the so-called large gathering in Texas who is called Joel Osteen, the one who authored a book called Your Best Life Now. Are you kidding me? This is your best life now? I sure would hate to see what the worst life is. She goes on to say, 
Sin is not our true nature. Spiritually, we are at varying degrees of light, which is knowledge. And because of our divine spiritual nature, we are filled with the desire to do good. This is completely opposite of what the Bible teaches. In Ephesians 2, 3, Paul says we are children of wrath. Romans 5, 10, we are called enemies of God. And in Romans 3, 12, the Bible says there is none who does good. No, not one. So we have seen a bit of Betty Eady's account of her death experience. Then there's the doctor's death experience who was actively involved in a reformed church. Dr. Neal, a spine surgeon, almost lost her life in a kayaking accident in Chile. She was trapped in a waterfall for close to 15 minutes, and she lost consciousness and says her soul left her body and went on a journey that took her on a journey to heaven and back, she entitled her book. Remember I told you that she is a spine doctor, and this is what she said. She writes in her book, Heaven and Back. I am not superstitious, she writes, but events frequently occur in threes. She is, in fact, highly superstitious, believing not only that she could detect the true identity of an angel who was posing as an owl, but also that she could discern a message the owl communicated with her telepathically. And she goes on to say, and I'm not making this up, the bird clearly had something to say. And when I finally paid attention, I felt the owl urging me to go with my mother to North Carolina. What? Can anyone say quack, Dr. Quacking, all the way to the pond? That's crazy. That's someone you might call an educated, what, fool. Now, let's hear a little bit more. This is from a pastor's account now of his son's death experience. The pastor was Todd Burpo when he wrote about his three-year-old son who nearly died from a burst appendix. He wrote this in a book that you may or may not have seen on newsstands called Heaven is for Real. The interesting thing about this book is that much of the death experience was based on what the three-year-old boy said he saw in heaven. And yes, he wrote an entire book on this. I don't know about you, but I personally would not take my spiritual information from my three-year-old son. Hmm, I, I don't think so. I don't see that as being credible. And knowing that the child would not have a real grasp of biblical truths, just saying. So this is a little bit about how the conversation about heaven went between the pastor and his son. Remember that this child has grown up in a pastor's home and has heard many Bible stories. So shortly after the son started talking about heaven, the pastor asked his son, this is one of the questions, did anything else happen? He nodded, eyes bright. And the son says, did you know that Jesus has a cousin? Jesus told me his cousin baptized him. And his father says, yes, you're right. The Bible says Jesus' cousin's name is John. 
And the father says, mentally, I scolded myself. Don't offer information. Just let him talk. I don't remember his name, Colton, the son said happily, but he was really nice. John the Baptist is nice, the father said. I just, just as I was processing the implications of my son's statement that he had met John the Baptist, Colton spied a plastic horse among his toys and held it up for me to look at. Hey, Dad, did you know Jesus has a horse? A horse? Yay, a rainbow horse. I got to pet him. Do children not have imaginations? Yes, they do. And especially at this age, and the pastor's fascination with what his son saw had to do with the appearance of physical things. So he pressed his son on visual descriptions. He asked, what did the kids look like? What do people look like? The son even told his dad he saw the devil in heaven. That in and of itself should have been a telltale sign to his dad and the pastor, but do you think he corrected his son? Oh, no. He did not correct him and tell him that the devil was not in heaven, but do you know what his question was to his son? What did he look like? What did the devil look like in heaven? All of this he uses to write a book on heaven is for real. And yes, beloved, heaven is for real. It is, not based on what this pastor writes in his book, but it is. So not basing our interpretation on what this kid thought he saw in heaven. The Bible tells us that we are not to add to the scriptures and to go beyond what scripture says. And someone says that we need a fresh revelation. This is the fresh revelation. This is the only revelation that we have. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of the law. The fact of the matter is that for those who rose from the dead in the Bible, nowhere is there an account given of what happened after they had died and were alive again. A classic example is in, in John 11 about Lazarus. He was dead for how many days? Four days. But do we have any account of what happened to him during those four days? Is there anything given about what he saw, what he experienced? None of that is given there. This is also true of the widow's son in 1 Kings 17, 17 through 24. We have nothing said about him after he was alive again. The same is true of Dorcas in Acts 9, who was raised from the dead. And when Peter called her to get up, even when the apostle Paul was taken up to heaven in 2 Corinthians 12, he did not discuss what he saw and heard in heaven. What you have to remember is that all of the descriptions of heaven given in the Bible are of visions. And to be honest, there are not a lot of visions given. It was not a journey taken by a dead person, going through some dark tunnel, then seeing a bright vision of light. Also, whenever a prophet had a vision in the Bible, he did not talk about the experience. But his primary focus was centered on none other than you know who? God. It was centered on God. That was his focus. They were awestruck in the presence of God. 
And there was a sense of unworthiness and shame. In Isaiah 6, 5, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And what you have to understand is Isaiah was probably the godliest man of the day in this particular era. And when he had this vision, he saw himself as undone. I'm finished. In Revelation 1.17, the apostle John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Ezekiel 1.28, Ezekiel said, I fell on my face. Daniel said, if you turn to Daniel chapter 10, this is Daniel's account. Verse, starting in verse 8. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly paler, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Then, behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, O oh, Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. And then moving down to, to verse 15, when he had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, oh, my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. So was he talking about his experience and everything? That he became weak. He was humble. He couldn't speak. All the visions given in scripture about heaven speak of the incredible awe and glory of God. We see this in Isaiah 60, 19, Revelation 21, 23, and Revelation 22, 5. They were in the spirit, not having some whimsical, godly experience. In other words, they were guided along, along by the spirit in their visions. To believers, heaven is truly special and dear. Why should we be so excited and, and longing for heaven? For one, our Father is in heaven. We pray this in the disciples' prayer in Matthew 6, 9, where we say, we pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Savior is in heaven. Hebrews 9, 24 says, 
Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. These two reasons alone should be enough for us to long for heaven. How dear to know the one who died in my place and took upon himself all of the sins of all of time upon himself and his substitutionary atoning death when he who knew no sin became sin for me and in exchange gave me his righteousness so that I might have eternal life. What incredible love. Spurgeon says it this way, there cannot be heaven without Christ. He is the sum of total bliss, the fountain from which heaven flows, the element of which heaven is composed. Christ is heaven, and heaven is Christ. Not only is God the Father there and Jesus our Savior there, but our brothers and sisters and loved ones in Christ are there. I know you as I have many loved ones there, namely my grandparents, my father, and most recently, my dear sister. Hebrews 12, 23 says, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. Every Old and New Testament believer who has died, who has died is there. Our names are in heaven. In Luke 10, 20, Jesus tells his disciples who were casting out demons, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your what names are recorded in heaven. When Jesus says our names are in heaven, he is saying that we have a title deed to property. There, our inheritance is there. First Peter 1, 3 to 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. All of God's glory and grace are in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, our citizenship is not here. Amen? Our eternal reward is in heaven. Jesus says in Matthew 5.11-12, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven. In heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, our masters in heaven. Paul says in Ephesians 6.9, And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Our treasure is in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in where? Heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be 
also. The fact of the matter is that everything we love is in heaven or everything that is most important to us is in heaven. Yet some believers are not as excited about heaven as they should be. They don't want to go to heaven until they've gotten all they can get from this life and done all they can do. Some want to go to the true paradise, don't want to go to the true paradise in heaven until they have gone to the so-called paradise on earth, Hawaii. Some believers actually love the world so much that one would really wonder if they are true citizens of heaven. The Apostle John reminds us in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust. And the lust, and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. J.C. Ryle says it this way, we must cast away everything which hinders us upon our road towards heaven. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, the love of riches, pleasures, and honors, the spirit of lukewarmness, and carelessness and indifference about the things of God, all must be rooted out and forsaken if we are anxious for the prize. We must mortify the deeds of the body. We must crucify our affections for this world. A proper worldview is to look toward heaven to do what? Paul says to do in Colossians 3.2, which is to set your mind on things where? Above not on the things that are on the earth. The fact of the matter is that things on the earth are temporary and passing away, but the things in heaven are eternal. It is said about a rich man who died, and someone asked one of his friends how much he left, and the friend replied, all of it. And he did. He, he left all of it, and it will be the same for you and for me. We're going to leave all of it. In 2 Corinthians 4, 18, 5-1, Paul says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Just knowing we will have a glorified body should be in and of itself enough of a reason to long for heaven. One of my heroes is Johnny Erickson Tata. For you who don't know, she was paralyzed from the waist down when she had a diving accident as a teenager. And more recently, she has battled cancer. Yet amidst all of this, if you ever see Johnny Erickson, if you ever see her on TV, if you ever see her anywhere, she has such joy and excitement when she talks about heaven. In her book on heaven, she says, I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down will one day 
have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. It's easy for me to be joyful in hope, as it says in Romans 12, 12, and that's exactly what I've been doing for the past 20 odd years. My assurance of heaven is so alive that I've been making dates with friends to do all sorts of fun things once we get our new bodies. I don't take these appointments lightly. I'm convinced these things will really happen, she says. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 6-8, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Can you honestly say that this is the deep desire of your heart? If not, why not? Are you holding tightly to this world because of the things you have here or because of the relationships you have here? Do you too easily look at this realm as being home? Do you become tied down to this life? Paul says he would rather be at home with the Lord. In other words, we are most truly at home only when we are finally with the Lord. That is my cry, the cry of my heart, to be at home with the Lord, and I hope it is yours. Lord willing, in the coming weeks, we will be looking at what heaven is, where it is, what it is like, what we will be like, and many more exciting things, all true things about heaven. So buckle your seatbelts and get ready to continue on this exciting journey looking at heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you because we thank you for just the glimpses that you have given to us about heaven. Cannot even fathom or imagine all that heaven is. Our minds really cannot comprehend, but you have given us, particularly in Revelation, glimpses and other parts of your holy word. May you help us to long for heaven, to set our minds on things above and not things on this earth, not tied down by things relationships, but we would have an excitement, a joy, a thrill of looking to heaven because you are there, Christ. Our Savior is there. The one who saved our soul and set us free has granted us that eternal life. We want to tell you again this day that we love you. We bless you. We adore you. How wondrous are you, Lord. How majestic and awesome are you. To your name be all the glory 
be all the honor, be all the praise. We pray all of this in your blessed name, Lord Jesus. Amen.